Look at the size of that thing, Doctor. Yes, Jamie, it is a big one. It's gigantic. It's so large, I can't get it all in. Hello and welcome to the latest exciting instalment of Running Down Corridors. I'm Martin and joining me this week, I have Chris. Good evening. Good evening, Chris. Chris, I believe this is the first time we've recorded on a Saturday. It is. I've been left at home with the childcare duties, so uh, my son's asleep in the next room as my wife's gone out to a Christmas do and she's not back for some time. Now, I would think this would be a time for me to really party down, but really, no, I'm knackered. I might put a well, film on and sleep. That's how bad it's going to get. It's I'm, Christmas time and you're a dad, so you got put on The Great Escape. That's not a bad idea. I don't make the rules, mate. As soon as you become a dad, <laughs> they give you a copy of The Great Escape. And that's it. Just tangentially, you know when you left the hospital with your son? Yeah. Was there any part of you that thought, right, well, that's it. I can just take him. There was, I suppose there was a point <laughs> like that. It, it, it's sort of like, because I was... Uh, Due to the nature of the birth, I didn't get to see it. Uh, for oh, you had a COVID baby, didn't you? It was a COVID, yes, it was yeah. a COVID baby. But also, it was uh, she had to be wheeled away. I won't go into more details. So the next thing I knew, there's this baby being brought in. And the same thing happened to my brother, actually. And his first thought was when they brought his baby in, uh, was, is that mine? <laughs> and, they just, and they just turned around and said, who else is it going to be? When my son was born. And we got him in the, the the car seat, and I just remember thinking, "So what? I just I just take him. Like nobody's gonna <laughs> nobody's gonna do a background check on me or anything. like." I just remember thinking, like, how easy it was to just take my son home. <laughs> and because I was like twenty six at the time, I didn't feel like properly grown up. I was like, I, I yeah, shouldn't yeah. be allowed to take this boy home. <laughs> no one's expected the house yet. <laughs> no, they haven't looked at. They haven't looked at all the sharp implements. So we're missing one of our members tonight. Yes, can be with us. I don't know if any of our RDC listeners know, but Sam's got this predisposition to go into London Zoo and trying to steal penguins. Yeah. We've tried to have interventions. We've sat him down. We've got all our other podcasting buddies around and we, we've got in the RDC bungalow and we're like, Sam, you can't fucking steal penguins anymore. But he, he just goes there. Uh, so he's currently in the Balkans serving <laughs> some time. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they can get my phone and he can join us next week. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, I just, I just can't get inside his head i just don't know what goes on in there but i don't like it i don't yeah. like it sick yeah. fuck <laughs> <laughs> i guess maybe he's trying to make a live action version of the big finish audios feature in frobisher does he know who that is <laughs> I, that's the way i'm justifying it in my head why else would you steal a penguin I don't want to go down again. That's that's stepping into things that might be a Netflix documentary in ten years. <laughs> oh, we might Inside get into you. the mind. <laughs> Penguin snatcher. Talking of big finish audios, a bunch of Doctor Who audio books, audio plays, etc., have now been added to Spotify, including the first five series of Jago and Lightfoot. 
Oh, they've increased their out. Because I knew it was like up to the first uh, 50. When yeah, I yeah, there's a load more. There's a bunch of BBC books on there as well. Mm. A whole bunch of the Target novelizations, they're on there. So if you just search Doctor Who on Spotify, you'll find a bunch of these. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Did you see William Russell was won a Guinness World Record? Yeah, turning up in for <laughs> the power for, of the doctor for a line or two. Yeah, he's got the longest gap between reappearances of the same character at 57 years. The previous holder was an actor from Coronation Street who came back after 42. Blimey. So I think this is going to be William Russell's record for a while. Unless he starts to do marathons again. I I can't can't see any other actor coming up behind him and taking it. Well, no, not really. I'm sure Toby Haydock would know, but it depends how long the show goes on for, really. I don't think I want to be around when, you know, that award goes to... Uh, Freeman Hadgerman, not someone. Freeman, yeah, yeah. Freeman Hadgerman or, or Billy Piper, you know. That would be weird. That would be really strange. It'd, it'd just be so, so bizarre. You know, it's weird now that the new companion that was just announced, Millie Gibson... She was born the month before Christopher Eccleston and Billy Piper started filming. Well, that's just insulting. That's just so annoying. <laughs> I mean, that's just, how dare people be younger than us, Martin? I mean, oh, it's, it's fact, frustrating. Even, even Shooty Gutwa is younger than us. You know, he's younger than me. I'm 31. Yeah. It's the, it's the weirdest, it's the weirdest, weirdest sensation to be older than a doctor actor. I'm older than the doctor and I'm old enough to be the companion's dad. <laughs> like if, if they were casting her dad, <laughs> I'm in that age range. <laughs> That's a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think about her casting? I don't really know her from anything. I don't watch the soaps. I didn't see Coronation Street. No, I think she looks, she looks all right. To be honest, all I can go by is that picture and I think she... She's a good-looking girl, although I'm careful in saying that because I, the older I get, I become a part of that camp that used to, um, <laughs> 40, the 50, yeah, the fifty, the perverts who, yeah, Billy Piper when she started. <laughs> you know, it's you know. weird the amount of like sixty-year-old men I saw posting that their new wallpaper was her. It's, it's weird. It's weird. I don't uh, even yeah. feel comfortable. I feel now actually, it's kind of too young that it makes me skeptical. I think where, you know, it makes me not skeptical, uh, that's the wrong word, cautious <laughs> of my own lifestyle and like, what am I watching? You know, it's like, <laughs> am, am I now, it's like sticking around with, I don't know, Blue Peter after too long, you know, mm. <laughs> or not, or maybe not Blue Peter, CBBS. It feels strange. It feels like, actually, maybe I am just watching kids shows. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're on a podcast talking about kids shows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it was originally a kids show, wasn't it? Yeah. I suppose because at the time, I, I don't know. I think there's a quality of the old Doctor Who's, and the, the fact that you, especially like, you know, John Pertwee when he was, was in his 50s, it was quite some adult stuff, which was predominantly a kid's show. It's a really strange thing. Oh, I don't know. It's just everyone's so fucking young. <laughs> oh, I know. It's annoying. How dare they? Yeah, they've got all their life ahead of them. <laughs> they haven't got ailments like us. They're not having to worry about diabetes. They haven't gone to the hospital a lot. <laughs> they, they, they're not sort of wondering, oh, blimey, I better cut out cheese. Wheat. Yeah, yeah. cheese, wheat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. No, they've got everything. Everything. 
Well, actually, probably they are avoiding cheese. Yeah, probably. They look pretty trim. Today's site, uh, today's climate. I will um, say they, they look really good together. And I watched that Disney Plus little promo they did with them. Oh, yeah. And their, their chemistry is just instant. You can already see it. And I know a lot of people have compared her to Rose. I found that comparison really weird because they've not compared her to Billy Piper. They've compared oh. her to Rose. Oh, and we've, it's, we've it's, not it's, seen a single second of her in action yet. She might look nothing like that in the oh, series. I don't even know. It's, uh, you can only go by what she looks like as an actress. You can't really go by anything else, which is why I'm sort of reserving any judgment, really, as to either of them. Yeah, so I've not seen Sex I remember, Education. Do you remember so. when everyone said that Jodie Whittaker was going to be fantastic and uh, <laughs> Toasting Cole was going to be brilliant and everything and all we had was just us enjoying Bradley Walsh for a little bit, <laughs> you know? It, well, the it, thing is, Toasting Cole is actually a good actor. I think he was hampered by poor scripts and having to do an accent that's not his. It made I him, look, that it made him sound dopey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was uh, really, yeah, it was weird. It's generic northerner. Oh, I can't even do the voice. I don't know what accent that was. Yeah, that was quite bad. Uh, that was quite <laughs> bad. Uh, <laughs> I've been drinking. What can I say? That's fine. Have you heard that the Mirror have reported there's going to be spinoffs in the work featuring the Daleks and Cybermen for Disney Plus? That seems quite a cool idea. I think Sam mentioned in our WhatsApp chat something along the lines of... I think there was some inspiration behind the Andor series. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Which uh, allows that sort of Dalek Thar war to be played out, which might be a bit much for some, but be quite cool, really. You can never do a series with the Daleks as the main protagonist because they would never be no. protagonists. So I don't oh, know. Yeah, you couldn't just pick a Dalek and be like, this is Jeff. We're going to follow Jeff as he goes around the world. Imagine yeah, you'd the have Dalek to version up. of The Office, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch it, though. Yeah. But, yeah, you'd have, you'd have to make it about the humans or the foals or the Khalids or whatever around them. Like Dalek Empire, the big finish did, is really good. Mm, mm. So is the Cyberman series they did. So I think there's definitely a series to be had from taking Doctor Who villains and seeing how they work outside of the main show. And I'm going to plead it until I die. Peladon series, for God's sake. I'm not talking about an audio with Dave, with uh, one of the <laughs> Troughton sons. I'm talking about the actual, an uh, actual series as basically Game of Thrones meets House of Cards meets Brian Hales. It's the Ice Warriors. It's the Ice Warriors. That'd be fantastic. And I and I think that'd be great because the thing I love about the Ice Warriors is that there's so many. There is that sort of level of it's. There is politics there. There's, uh, yeah, there's something. Yeah. There's, there is a civilization there that's briefly touched upon and hinted at quite a bit. That they're not your big monsters that they were in the first two episodes, which Brian Hale was elaborated on, and and then even Mark Mark Gattis even appealed to you know he even wrote that in himself with these two stories. There's definitely some grounds there, and I think they could definitely do it. I don't think they could do. Yeah, like you say, anything with the Daleks as the main characters, they'd have to be the threat, always the threat. Yeah. But no, I think it's an interesting idea. You know, if they've got the money and they can throw it at it, why not do it? The difficulty with Doctor Who spin-offs in the past has been that, well, just in general, spin-off shows get half the budget of the parent show, at least yeah. to start with. So like Angel's budget for that first series was half of what Buffy's was for series four. All the spin-offs we've had, like Class, Sarah Jane Adventures, Torchwood, they've all had to be modern day Earth to accommodate that lower budget. But I guess if you've got 
Disney Plus money and they're spending $10 million per episode, that's $5 million an episode for a spinoff. So it can still look good. You could take it to Peladon. You could take it to Scarrow and have these bold adventures. Where do you stand on a Paul McGann miniseries? Because every time Paul McGann comes up, people will, we should get a Paul McGann miniseries. I don't want it. Uh, so. I, I'm, I'm adamant on that. And fans can keep requesting it, but it really would be pointless. It kind of undermines the point of following the show as it is. And Big Finish have done justice to it and i think enough justice that paul mcgann's happy with it and can rest assured he hasn't killed the show which is generally what he did feel for quite some time and then he thought that when they didn't bring him back yeah that it, you know that would left a sort of sour thing for him so you know as nice as it would be i think just look at that clip it, that his appearance in um power of the doctor he's much older it, it's it shows now. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's sixty three, and if you look at he looks good for it. Don't get he, me wrong. He, oh, he looks better than I do at forty. But oh, let me yeah, yeah let yeah. me just say he's sixty three. Peter Capaldi was what fifty four when he became the Doctor. Yeah, 55, if you look at fifty five, fifty five. If you look at the pictures from the final press tour of series ten, he looks like he's just waiting for someone to kill him. It's and he's, just, he's yeah. only 60 then. So if they got a Paul McGann spin-off on the, on the grounds now, say they fast-tracked it, the earliest it would be out is when he's 66. I'm not going to be ageist towards that because, I mean, Harrison Ford has just done another Indiana Jones, you know, and looks from the trailer like he does a lot of it, <laughs> a lot in it. But, I just think the work schedule of Doctor Who is just too demanding for anyone over 40. Yeah, to, to be yeah. I think it's more because you know you've got to come back and repeat, which is the problem they had before. Yeah, uh, which is why it sort of became a bit, I suppose, uh, broken up a bit around Matt Smith's time. Was that they just? It was essentially they did nine months on, three months off, nine months on again, and in succession for each season, with the exception of Eccleston, he just just quit after the nine but they looped that every time which is why they always kept the set and that's how they kept the same broadcasting for the site for the while but then they decided to play around with that around uh, i think season series six just to sort of break it up in the production and so on and yeah. then and then that's why it was all over the place and before you knew it they were then putting on capaldi in august and in the sort of latter end of the year and and so on, and then the scheduling became a nightmare, and so on, and then eventually, and they had that on a loop until Series Ten decided they decided we're going to do a break. I think they needed to one because it, it wears you down. You're like, I've got to write for the next season now. I'm contracted, got to write it, and same with the, the actors as well. They're basically stuck in that loop. That's the reason why a lot of actors, especially I think mainly film actors, for a long time refused to do TV because they knew yeah. it would keep them out of work. Because you do nine months on doing a, a show, and then you've only got three months respite until you have to go and do the second season, you know, and then repeat, uh, rinse and repeat. It just takes so much time out. You can't commit yourself to other projects. That was part of the reason why David Tennant didn't do a final year as such. He did a few specials instead. Um, yeah. Because he wanted to do other things, and they were quite lenient to allow it. But I think nowadays... Any series could drop at any time, like a limited series of anything, yeah. which allows a lot more actors to take up these roles. I'd love to do a TV drama. 
And they'll do their TV drama. It says, how long is it? Eight episodes. No second season. You just do eight episodes and that's it. Or even then, they just have that flexibility to go, right, well, we'll do another season when we do another season. There's no thing. And I think that's where Doctor Who's at at the moment, which means there might be some flexibility there. But at the time, Peter Capaldi was knackered. So a Paul McGann series, I'm not saying it wouldn't work, but I kind of feel that that ship has sailed some time ago. Uh, It also causes massive brand confusion because you're putting two versions of the same character out at the same time. Oh, yeah. Who'd you put on the lunchbox? And imagine being some kid, you you love Shooty Gatwa's Doctor Who, but all your nan knows is you love Doctor Who. She goes and gets you the Paul McGann yeah, doll. Yeah, there's that. Yeah, it, it just causes too much brand confusion. And if you want the Paul McGann spin-off, there's 300 episodes of it on Big Finish. Oh, absolutely. There's a reason why they've never done a film or America have never picked up a series of their own, and that is because of brand, really. Imagine trying to do that when Jodie Whittaker's era was run. You're trying to get uh, everyone, all the audience behind them, the main series. And I think The Civil Walking Dead did the same error as well, is that they had too many spin-offs that some proved some way a bit more popular than the main show, but either way, the quality of the main show dipped, or at least yeah, had less absolutely. attention. So you're trying to spin so many plates and go, well, you know, it's like that sort of, like a merchandising thing. We'll just go... We've got a uh, Spaceballs, the T-shirt, Spaceballs, the TV, you know, all these various things. It's all detracts from the main thing you're meant to be selling, and that is the show itself. And I think a McGann series would definitely be a massive step backwards. I know we've just had David Tennant back, um, which is a step backwards in itself, which I hope can be explained. I wouldn't say it's a step backwards. It's a step to continue the series, and it's going to be part of the narrative. It's not just giving David Tennant a completely separate series. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, definitely. There's a difference between I have between him and Stephen Moffat, really, is that Stephen Moffat has a lot of brilliant little ideas of what would be really cool to see. And I think Chibnall has some idea of that as well. Then he tries to fit that a narrative to make that happen. Whereas, and it's usually the narrative struggles afterwards to try and fit this bit in. Whereas Russell Davis doesn't do anything unless the narrative allows it. There has to be a point. It can't be a case of let's just bring David Tennant back just for the sake of it so we can have a couple or a few more episodes of him. There has to be a story. We can we can make a story out of this. This is going to work. And that's the thing I like about Russell Davis is he does he thinks of the narrative and the, the first more than cool little bits, cool little concepts. And I think that's a, the reverse, I think, of uh, with a few disney shows they did the book of boba fett which was based around one thing and one thing only and that was this shot of him sitting on jabba's throne yeah that's it that was the series pitch that's it just that one image that's it cool idea to see that happen but it doesn't quite work as a narrative or a story but anyway yeah back to paul mcgann I think he's under he's understanding he's not going to get another chance. But I mean, they gave him a chance to be in the show again, and it, you know, with that one little bit there, and he didn't, you know, he was always jump at the chance to turn up. All right, um, we got one more bit of news before we get onto our main feature, and mm. it's not even really news; it's a rumor. So apparently, this Australian collector has recently passed away, and in his possession, he had some missing episodes. Have you heard about this? No. 
Yeah, I was doing the rounds on like Discord and stuff earlier in the week. I believe it when I'm holding the Blu-ray box set in my hand, I guess. Because <laughs> as we know, film does very well in the heat. Yeah. Yeah, so Australia is the perfect place to preserve some film. Wasn't some found there? No, or am I confu- I'm confusing it with censored bits because they cut out a lot of censored Yeah, bits there were some censored clips, they? yeah. And every bit that they thought was too scary or too much, they cut from the broadcast. And ironically... Those clips are the only bits that survive <laughs> because they cut them. It's a strange, strange fact. But yeah, if you didn't know about that, listeners, then uh, yeah, they're on the, I think they are on the DVD, the Lost in Time yeah. box. But yeah, they basically thought these bits were too scary that they'll cut it out. Those clips were stored away whilst the BBC threw away everything else. That's the thing that puts me off getting the second series box set is that this Telesnap's reconstructions. It's like, I don't want to pay 50 quid for an incomplete box set. I think I've asked for it as a Christmas present because I can't justify spending my own money on it just yet. They're a bit knackered in, the, in a sense there when they're filling in because like a perfect box set to do would be season five, uh, which is Patrick Troughton's second year. Mm. And But they've animated most of them. You know, uh, it's, but so, but those animations have come out of, over the last sort of five years, five to maybe yeah. six years. So all of those Blu-rays are sitting on a on a shelf already. It will be sort of it just be awkward for them to release a second uh, a, a collector's box set with the with the ones you've already got there, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, I, see, I, I can't believe they did that. So how many of them are telesnaps now? I thought they had few more episodes on there than that second I, I think it's two episodes of telesnaps i might i might be like hugely mistaken oh wow but yeah 50 quid for like an income i know there's like documentaries and interviews and stuff like that that make the box sets worth it but just in my head i can't justify 50 quid for it i wasn't wasn't old enough to to know you know i've never seen or heard of tomb of the cybermen before i saw the vhs in in my local library Sure. So I know a lot of fans who recall the story or or at least read the the, the novelization or the or, or listened to the audio were expecting something better. And then when they saw Tomb of the Sidemen, apparently they were quite disappointed <laughs> with how it looked. Which is always a fear when you find missing episodes because you think, Oh, it sounds so good, you know? And then you get it in real life and you're like, Oh my god, it looks so cheap and terrible but one i think they will if they do find it i don't want them to ever reveal it and that'll be the space pirates oh <laughs> 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 i'm with fraser hines on this so i want to see that animated because i think he agrees as well he said because an animated version would just be miles better it's like the macro terror that looked fantastic mm. if you saw those crabs in uh in, <laughs> as they were broadcast it just would not stick with you <laughs> we'll see a return to the animations within the next 10 years mm. and they will re-release all these box sets that have come out with telesnaps with the animations they don't mind making fans double or triple dip into getting them. So I think I'm going to hold off on anything that's got missing stories unless they're animated. Yeah, yeah, very true. All right, let's move on to our main feature, which is the two doctors. You travel around as much as I do. It's almost inevitable that you'll run into yourself at some point. I've come a long way for you. Naturally. Don't expect any thanks. Perhaps you should see a doctor. Are you trying to be funny? He's not the doctor I know. 
So when did you first experience this story? Experience is the right term. I do enjoy it. It's just a very disturbing three-part story of, that you'll ever sit and watch. Pretty dark in places as well. That's horrific. I think I, I was watching it on UK Gold. It was the time monster with John Pertwee, so... It, as it as it proceeded, eventually it got to the sixth doctor. I remember going to the library and getting the VHS of it, and uh, just having a watch of that. I really enjoyed it for the most part. I think I liked the music, I liked the Sontarans in it. I didn't really care at that age that the fact that Sontarans were meant to be small, but yet this one was about six foot, <laughs> or that the helmets didn't fit. <laughs> but the older I got, the more it just got dark. I mean, Shock Eye terrified me. Oh, um, he's played so well. It's it's a her- terrifying, hideous character. He's a cannibal, essentially. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, the, the bit where he goes, my pretty, <laughs> I've got you now. And he's just about to, like, grab uh, Nicola Bryan. Even his death is quite frightening as well, because it, the doctor effectively cyanides him. He does, uh, yeah. He murders him. He actually murders him. How do you feel about the Doctor committing an act like that? Because in this moment, I don't mind. Because Shockeye has just injured him. And Mm. if he catches him, he is going to kill him. So in a scenario where it's the Doctor or the other guy, I don't mind the Doctor doing something like this. No, I've never really given a damn. It's, you know, the whole sort of thing of, am I a good man sort of story. I I, I couldn't give a toss because I know for a fact that he's done terrible things before the time war. (laughs) It's like watching, I don't know, if you watch a Marvel film and go, well, I didn't want uh, Iron Man to kill all those people. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's it's sort of like, just, they have to. They kill because they have to. It's just how it is. The Doctor is no exception. I mean, he melts an ice warrior. (laughs) I remember Patrick Troughton melting an ice warrior with two lamps. (laughs) (laughs) There's the one bit I always remember is that Tom Baker's Doctor, what's it called? Morbius. I've forgotten what it's called now. Oh, the brain of Morbius? Brain of Morbius, that's it. I don't know why I was thinking the curse of Morbius. I don't know. He stops Soren by (laughs) getting cyanide to go up through the vents (laughs) and kills him. It's it's cold-blooded as hell. And it was fruitless because he still doesn't stop Morbius. But yeah, no, that Shockeye one was just just terrifying. Uh, But... Yeah, as you're right, you say. If he had, it was either him or I didn't pay any attention until I got older. Because it all kicked off when Superman broke Zod's neck in Man of Steel. And I've always just been of the opinion, what else was he meant to do with this superpowered being? I think people are just a bit, <laughs> I hate to go down there, you, you woke lot. Who <laughs> <laughs> suddenly goes, oh, I feel sorry for Shockeye. I really didn't expect, you know, he didn't deserve that. And I go, yes, he did. He fucking ate people. He did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> His death was the most satisfying thing. You don't get to the end of a James Bond film and think when he's killed the henchman off. Do you know, I wish he hadn't. It's something that the new Doctor Who does a lot, which is that they seem to make all the villains misunderstood characters but actually some of them are just evil dicks yeah (laughs) and they just have to be destroyed i think the doctor's destroyed several daleks in his lifetime easily just yeah just moth mothball um (laughs) cannibal that'd be fine is this the story that kicks off the series 6b theory it is i think people have actually pitched that to me said well why don't you do season 6b because rather than just falling into John Pertwee at the end of War Games, uh, he gets taken out of time to do jobs for the Celestial Intervention Agency, and he gets Jamie back. He gets Victoria back. Apparently, I don't know. I've never actually really cared for that 
part of it, so I've never really wanted to do it. But unless Big Finish wants to do it, in that case, I might be happier to oblige. <laughs> uh, by the way, it would be the most amazing thing ever, and so good idea. I think it all stemmed from the two Doctors. I think it was like the fans' way of making up, well, where does this fit in? Yeah, and <laughs> why said, the Doctor looks older and why Jamie looks older. And he mentions he was exiled as well. There was a fan film a couple of years ago, well, I say a couple of years ago, probably about 10 years ago now. I never saw it myself, but it was advertised quite heavily in SFX magazine. And they so- found this guy that looked exactly like Patrick Troughton and John Pertwee. He had like features of both of them. And somebody made a fan film called The 2.5th Doctor. And I've uh-huh. never been able to find this fan film anywhere, but I distinctly remember reading about it. And it was like that period after he had been sent to Earth by the Time Lords, but before mm. he had fully regenerated into John Pertwee. Right. And I also thought that's quite an interesting tale. If There was a like a half doctor that was out there. I've seen on YouTube people have darkened Trout's hair in this. Oh, it made him look more like he used to. He definitely should have. I think the colour is a bit wrong in that. He he looks. He did. He does look a lot better with uh, darkened hair. Yeah, maybe it's filming something else and couldn't. Maybe, maybe. I, I, I'm not sure what the executive decision of it was. I know he sort of considered it as a. It was a great holiday for him. Filmed in Seville. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> he went out to Seville. There's some brilliant photos of him, Nicola Bryant, uh, Fraser Hines, and Colin Baker all in a swimming pool together. Oh. And yeah, it, it sounds sordid when I say it like that. Pat was on. Colin's shoulders at one point. You know, you turn up to a resort and you see other people come along and they're either a bit more dramatic than you or they're less dramatic. Yeah. And I like to think you're sitting there lounging by the sub bed and there's something you see <laughs> two Doctor Who actors just fighting, fighting each other <laughs> with more, you have, you know, play fights and volleyball, such yeah. and such. This was quite a weird story because it was the first one that wasn't done as an anniversary special. And mm. to like put into context how weird this is, it was Colin Baker's first series. So that's yeah. kind of that's kind of the equivalent of in Jodie Whittaker's first series if they'd put David Tennant in an episode. Well, it was all that thing they kept saying about uh, David Tennant just popping up in Matt Smith's sort of yeah. first second years and I always thought that would be wrong because if you do that you sort of just remind people <laughs> of, you just get them comparing and thinking of the other yeah personally which, I didn't like yeah. it when Matt Smith turned up in Deep Breath no no it I, didn't work for me I thought that was yeah it was just like having Tom Baker turn up in Peter Davison's first episode it would have just been completely jarring and pointless and that's how it felt to me I know Sam a, liked it but you know what, he's on mm. the run. So <laughs> I think I heard that Tom Baker didn't want to return to the Five Doctors was for that reason as well. It was too soon. Yeah, it was too soon, and uh, he'd rather just let the other new guy do it. I think Tom Baker did go on the record and say that it was likewise John Pertwee didn't really give him any advice, and likewise he didn't give Peter Davison any advice because sure. he he felt like it was wasn't his place wasn't to do his it. Place. I think someone pointed this out, but it is the last sort of six-part length episode, isn't it? Because I didn't realise until a lot later, because I was just so engulfed, each episode was still at the 45 minutes. Yeah. I was like, I was, I just had some reason I was wondering, why well, there's three episodes of this, so it's like technically a six-parter. 
Yeah, technically. Yeah, that's what somebody said on Facebook when I posted mm. that we were doing this. They were like, oh, the last six episode story in all but editing. Mm. So, and yeah, they're right. I, I prefer the 45 minute format. I think it works. In fact, I quite, I, I even said this as the new series went on was I would actually like the episodes to follow that sort of thing where you have part one, part two, part three, but you know, no, part one and part two, then next story, part one, part two. Yeah. Because you get at least one cliffhanger in there, and it just paced it a bit better, which they kind of start did in series nine. I actually kind of wanted them to do a sort of do it that way. I got sort of into because Sarah Jane Adventures did that; they did like part one, part two, and I thought actually I'd wonder if it's worth them putting all their effort into six good stories than rather than thirteen individual separate ones. I found myself really wishing that Jamie had stayed on with the sixth Doctor and Perry because he works so incredibly well. And because he's a Mm. previous companion, that means he's got the trust of both the Doctor and Perry instantly. Perry's got someone to confine with because my biggest problem with the sixth Doctor and Perry is why the fuck is she with him? Yeah. Yeah, I don't get that. I've never understood that. And there's even one scene in this where she clearly mouths arsehole. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. When he's talking, and you just think, why? Yeah. Why is she there? But by adding Jamie, gives her somebody to vent to. He can kind of defuse the situation. I came to the Sith Doctor after hearing him on Big Finish, and let me tell you, if you come from Big Finish to the Sixth Doctor's TV episodes, it's a massive letdown. Because on Big Finish, like you've always said, they've got the fortune of hindsight, so they yeah. can look at what worked, what didn't. So when you're listening to a Big Finish story, the people have kind of been writing that in their heads for years, and it's good. And then you come back to the Sith Doctor TV era, and it's a bit shit. To be fair, there are bits to enjoy, but it is a very divisive era. And I do feel sorry for Colin because he was the only doctor to really get the sack. Yeah. And he's been such a great advocate for the show. And uh, Out of anyone yeah. ever involved with Doctor Who, he's the mm. one that has the right to be like, fuck Doctor Who, and never touch it again. But the fact that he's, he's still such a great ambassador for the entire show and continues to do yeah. finish and conventions. And I know you could argue, yeah, but he's making this amount of money from Doctor Who every year with the conventions and audios and stuff. But still, if you weren't enjoying it and you'd had this bad experience, you wouldn't do it. It's a difference with that Chris Eccleston, isn't it? He, he, yeah. he, did, he did leave. You know, Colin definitely went through a lot more than Chris did. Oh, uh, in terms of this production hierarchy that, he's, that he was against. But I don't know, maybe like Colin, he'll come back around a bit. So, did Colin immediately sort of he must have been quite pissed off because I know he was you know he told them to basically fuck off when when they said do you want to come back to do the regeneration well that was because it would have been a year later yeah so the condition for him coming back would have been that he was essentially unemployable to any casting director out there because they mm. would have thought he had a job yeah so he the BBC were asking him to not work for a year to come and film a 30-second regeneration. So he was like, well, it's not worth it. This story was originally set in New Orleans, but I couldn't find out why they changed it to Seville. I think it must be down to a cost, wasn't it? Probably. Probably. I mean, it's easier to get to Seville than it is to get to New Orleans. New Orleans. Yeah. It's only like two hours away. It's a, it's a very odd episode. It's a brilliant performance by Jacqueline Pierce, though, I must admit. I think everyone involved in this is given 110%. Oh, yeah. And the poor guys in those Santaran costumes. Oh, God, yeah. In that heat. 
And I know they tried to film them in the morning so that it wasn't as hot. But can you imagine being in that costume, in that heat, and still giving a good performance? Yeah, he was, shut the craft to self-destruct, please. It's fucking boiling out here. <laughs> you just don't want to imagine that how much sweat they must be swimming in in that thing. Cosplayers will get at the end of a busy day and just sort of have to drain it out but this is this is going to be fucking grim it's like walking around in an aqua suit i remember camille kajuri saying once that one of the cybermen had a cold when they were filming and by the time they took his helmet off it wasn't a pretty sight oh. <laughs> it must have been the same but with sweat these Antarans. they must have yeah they must have been showering and stuff i mean <laughs> I'm just here. so the inside man just sort of inside oh, oh fuck and just having to have that oh, down your everywhere. face uh, well, I, I enjoy this story there's a lot of deep debates you could have about eugenics and selected breeding and genocide Dasari he kept reminding me of that um, fashion designer Cole Lagerford was it the guy I'm with the white hair who used to go around with like young male models that all look like him yeah i've just looked him up yeah 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 i, I see couldn't that. help but think of him and the lady who throws the rose down to him she was the translator for gary downey when he was out doing like location scouting oh really yeah and i didn't realize that gary downey was jnt's boyfriend until i was looking up this episode oh really yeah, um, yeah they were in a relationship and apparently they used to go to conventions looking for quote-unquote doable barkers <laughs> and that was doctor who fans that also happened to be good looking <laughs> good God. That's a great name for a podcast. Whilst we're on this subject, I guess this uh-huh. whole entire era, there's an extra on the DVD I watched. It's called In a Fix with the Santarans, and it features the sixth Doctor, Tegan, for some reason, and a young lad called Gareth Jenkins. Gareth and Jenkins, isn't it? Jenkins, that's it. I, I remember that name purely because I remember being quite envious of him for many years until <laughs> until about 2000, <laughs> 2013 or fourteen when they when everything came out. I was like, oh, actually, I don't I don't envy you at all. I'd love to talk to him now because he must have had this great memory for like thirty years of this little Doctor Who sketch that he made, and now yeah. when he looks back, the connotations that are now attached to that happy memory must be <laughs> like a gut punch to him. It's so weird when the Sith Doctor says there's something coming on the screens it's horrendous and it's an image of Jimmy Savile yeah I am right in believing they did try and remove that from any future DVDs I did hear that didn't I Um, I don't know but yeah it's just the connotations that now come with that my uncle passed away from cancer a few years ago but prior to that when he was a teenager he had a kidney transplant and since then he would do a lot for like kidney charities and when he passed we had to go around to his flat and like clear it out and stuff and when i walked down his hallway there were all these pictures turned to the wall with smashed glass on the floor and i was like that's weird so i flipped them round, and they were all pictures of my uncle and jimmy savile from like various different marathons going back through the days oh my god the day after he found out he had cancer that was completely uncurable he had like three different separate types of cancer the day after he found that out was the day the jimmy savile revelations came to light so i imagine in a fit of rage he smashed all these pictures and then flipped them to the wall and then just didn't get the chance to uh take them down or clear up the glass or anything because he only lived like three or four weeks after that no bloody hell it's kind of 
horrific. But obviously, my uncle's pain is nothing to do with what the kids went through or anything like that. And it doesn't mm. compare to that. But I've always kind of felt like uh, my uncle had these happy memories of all these years and being like, oh, yeah, I met Jimmy Savile. He was nice. We ran a race together. Yeah. yeah I imagine that's kind of what Gareth guy probably feels. Yeah, I had a dream made for me in Doctor Who and uh, it got yeah it's it's horrible um, someone I used to be a, f- a friend of a long long time ago who uh, I don't know wasn't his friend turned out he was a he was a bit of a bit of a nonce um, really do- did make a gut punch to people who were going well I used to love watching that uh, you know uh, yeah. I think it's just it is a horrible horrible realisation and it's it's huge shame. But as I say, I was really envious of Gareth Jenkins up until that point. I mean, why wouldn't you be? I mean, he's living yeah. every Doctor Who fan's dream, and he's yeah in a scene with the Doctor. I bet for years he was telling anyone who would listen that he, that he did that. And now it's probably something he doesn't really talk about. Yeah, hang on a moment. I think I can see. Let me see here. I think I found him actually. Oh, okay, he, he's on Twitter. Oh, yeah. yeah, he says uh, it was a tweet from 2012 saying, my Doctor Who, Jim will fix it. If only I'd known who the real monster was to be turned into little green bits. Hashtag Savile. I bet that was such a bad day for Gareth. And I mean, I, I don't say that lightly and I don't want to cast any sort of more empathy on him than the kids that Jimmy mm-hmm. Savile abuse should get. Should we talk about happier things? Yeah, let's, uh, back to cannibalism. Back to uh, cannibalism. What do you make of the second Doctor being turned into an androgam or what are they called androgons? Androgams, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, which was I think it was a bit, I'm sure it was an anagram of something. I can't remember what it was. Probably. Yeah, yeah bizarre. Really odd. <laughs> and so you sort of wonder, they got Pat Troughton back to do this. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love that it affects the sixth Doctor as well. He feels the pain of all the changes. In a very disturbing way. I mean, yeah. he looks at, uh, there's one line that's always stuck with me ever since and I think about it all the time. He says, there are many, there are many ways to skin a cat. <laughs> and, he, and he licks his lips, the sick yeah. bastard. It's a really horrific episode. But I do think he has some amazing moments. I mean, there's Star... Uh, is it, no, it's not Star, is it? What's his name? What's the lead Santaran's name? Uh, Santaran number one. <laughs> there's a brilliant scene where he's uh, got Jamie hostage and then Jamie like stabs him with his knife in his leg and then a bit of laser fire it's really awesome I'm just like oh wow that's, this is really cool and then you go bloody hell <laughs> <laughs> so what do you make of the Santarans trying to build a TARDIS alright <laughs> I think it makes sense why wouldn't they want time travel technology well they've always said that haven't they, they I think it's always been their call goes, we are the Santarians we Santarans we, we we were never involved in the time war you know all these various it was such a great war that we weren't allowed to be part of it <laughs> I feel like it is their venture really they just time travel is the ultimate end game and only sort of creatures like the Daleks have ever been successful at doing it what do you make of Jacqueline Pierce in this because she's incredible oh brilliant absolutely brilliant I remember watching like obviously Blake 7 or bits of Blake 7 and it used to be on like literally just before Doctor Who was on UK Gold in the mornings yeah so I sort of knew her from that and then so we get oh it's her from Blake 7 no but she was she was very very good she, you know, she, I've she, never seen Blake 7 I say I still I haven't seen it properly I, I remember I remember seeing there watching bits of it but not really getting into it um, I think I probably will now 
if I did it now. But I know she's obviously famous from it. She's notoriously good at playing camp villains, but the villains aren't just sort of like 2D characters. There's some real t- sort of twisted depths to it. It's really captivating performance, and you just can't help. But, uh, Absolutely. You, you don't. You can't look away. And likewise with her other performances, she does. Uh, like I think one of her recent ones was playing Cardinal Lystra in the Time War uh, saga that they do on Big sure. Finish, and uh, even that she's she's a villain but not a villain she's a very impacting actress yeah god rest her i like this story i can see its problems mm. but it's a lot of fun yeah. uh, it's also <laughs> harrowing as fuck but <laughs> yeah. i, I like it the first bit is the doctor thinks he's dead. He thinks yeah. he's been killed. And he's just waiting for time to collapse on him. This is really dark as hell. I mean, that scene where they're all in the tube is fucking terrifying. And it's all it is is just them screaming in a glass tube. <laughs> I like the way it starts when it looks like it could just be an old episode of Doctor Who. And it's such an interesting way to start it. Yeah. I imagine because so many episodes were missing, I wonder if there's anyone back in the day watching it thinking, oh, they must be playing an old episode that I've not scene. They must have been confused as hell to go from the really bright title sequence to then suddenly no colour at all. But I like that Fraser Hines is back. I like that Patrick mm. Troughton was back. And like I said, I just really wish Fraser Hines had stuck around with the Sith Doctor and Perry. Oh uh, yeah, definitely. That would have been such a great dynamic. But I think he was uh, he was doing Emmerdale at the time. I think they managed to get some holiday for him so he could go and do it because that was a sort of well, a factor in like his previous comebacks like the Five Doctors and whatnot it was finding the time around him Adele the most depressing thing about this is there's only about four people who were involved with this that are still alive yeah what do you make of Oscar and the waitress I can't remember her name heartbreaking when Oscar is spoiler alert dead stabbed by shock oh my god it is really really just horrible really felt like one of those characters you just I think everyone must have mourned him when he died and that doesn't and that doesn't happen often with like characters in Doctor who like uh, secondary tertiary characters a brilliant brilliant standalone character it was a bit annoying in, in some ways but then when he died he was like, oh no that was they really set up their backstory really well like these were two people mm. that kind of liked each other but neither of them had ever really expressed their feelings yeah and yeah it's it's just heart-wrenching that he was killed before he got the chance to tell her or she got the chance to tell him oh, oh yeah and that the only other time i can think of like secondary characters that have had this emotional aspect oddly is with chris chibnall's first episode the woman who fell to earth people on twitter mm. really felt for that granddad security guard oh yeah yeah, yeah he's yeah, on the yeah, phone yeah. to his granddaughter going oh i'm so lucky to be your granddad and blah 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 and then he's killed that's a gut-wrenching reaction but i can't think of any other character prior to that that's had that kind of impact no i think it's also the manner in which he died as well it was just you know it was just stabbed if you watch a program if you watch like game of thrones or 24 and you know they're either killed by just an unexpected stabbing or that some reason doesn't have the effect as this did well with like 24 they're kind of doing that job they are police of a sort yeah and yeah. you know that they've signed up for it that is a risk and although it's it's a sad risk 
Mm. It's not as sad as when a guy who's just running a restaurant for his mate mm. is stabbed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's all thanks to the doctor. <laughs> Another victim of the doctor. <laughs> He's uh, Andragum version. Bloody strange, but yeah, that was that was sad. I watched a few extras on this, and there was a shockwave extra, which I guess was a radio show from back around this era, and it had interviews with Colin Baker and Patrick Trout and Nicola Bryant. And interestingly, Nicola mm. Bryant sounds more American in this shockwave interview than she does in the entire run of Doctor Who. <laughs> and I don't know if that's just something that she'd done the accent for so long that it kind of stuck into her proper accent. Because I remember yeah. when I did a play, the director said, oh, we need an American. And for six months, we rehearsed this fucking play. And I was in this play, and on opening night, he went, you know what? Kill the American thing. <laughs> and for the whole six months of doing this play and building it up and stuff the director had told me to speak in an american accent in my day-to-day life uh, to the point that even four years after the play i still had a twang in my voice that people would ask me where i was from so amazing. i imagine it, it's kind of something like that maybe the accent just stuck with her maybe yeah it, it, i suppose it would it's well yeah i, I think expo- any exposure to that length of time especially when you're putting it on the only accent you seem to be paid to do <laughs> uh, i think doctor who was her first job out of drama school as well. When was Blackadder? Christmas Carol. After Doctor Who, I think. Oh, just have a look. 86, maybe? 88, yeah. Yeah, it was. I always thought she looked younger in that than she did in her. And she uh, did in her. Maybe it's the lighting. Maybe, maybe. I met Nicola Bryant once. She's really nice. I think I've walked past her before. Yeah, I met uh, her at um, Hooverville. Hooverville 3. Ah, yeah, and I got a picture with her. She had an eye patch for some reason. I can't remember why. There's also an extra with Gary Downey where he's taking people around the locations and talking about how they came to be, etc. And he is probably the worst presenter of anything I've ever seen. He's not natural in front of the camera at all. There's uh, there's loads of uh, bits like uh, I think Silver Nemesis making of has got him sort of, you know, let's make magic. He's a character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had this really weird accent on the DVD, and I was like, oh, that's weird. I googled him. He's originally from South Africa, so he's got like this weird, almost English, but not quite accent. He's just not natural in front of the camera as well. And they tried to hide it by making him walk and stuff like that. (laughs) All right, I'd say that about wraps it up for this week. Yeah. We'll be back next week with some more nonsense, hopefully. Sam's wife can smuggle in my phone.